Welcome to Voices from the Pews, the show that invites you to engage in conversations with Catholics of color and those who are part of communities of non-European origin, so that we can get to know more about each other's faith, experiences, and stories. I'm your host, Lorna DeRose. Friends, it is almost a year since the first episode of Voices from the Pews. I have truly enjoyed this podcast journey. I have had the privilege to speak to so many people about how God is moving in their lives, and I have certainly learned a lot about podcasting. If there's a particular conversation that you've enjoyed, please let me know and send an email to voicesfromthepewspodcast at gmail.com. Our guest today is Lorna Heron, who is a healthcare advocate and active parishioner at St. Catherine Drexel Parish, who understands firsthand the pain of losing a child due to violence, and is in the process of starting a ministry for grieving parents. Just a quick content warning about today's conversation. There is a brief discussion of violence, so please consider who may be listening with you, especially younger ears. I hope you enjoy listening. I am so delighted to welcome Lorna Heron, who is a parishioner of St. Catherine Drexel Parish in Boston. She is also a survivor of homicide and is in the process of starting a ministry for parents who are grieving. Lorna, welcome. So glad to have you with us. You're welcome. It's an honor. Thank you for thinking of me. Absolutely. So Lorna, tell us a little bit about you and your family. Well, I am, I want to say a newly married person, but 10 years coming this um, this July, will not be considered as a newly married person. And I am a mom of two. One is my daughter is my firstborn and my deceased son is my last child born. I have two stepchildren that I'm getting to learn. And I am a child of 11 and I am the 11th child of my mom's. Growing up in a in a family of 11, what was that like? Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, man. It, very interesting. Being the last child, um, mm. I was spoiled. I have been told that I used to have little tantrums when I didn't get my way. Kind of explains why I have that thrive of determination of to make things happen. So growing up, what was church like for you and your siblings? It was interesting because we used to go to St. Philip Parish Warwick House. They keep telling me about all these other priests that was involved, but I only remember really one. And that is one that really saw the leader in me and encouraged me. And his name was Father Bill Leonard. We called him Father Bill. And he was awesome. We were taught so much in that one little space. And one of the things that we were taught was that priests are human first. They're um, not perfect people. 
You shouldn't worship a priest. You're supposed to just show respect the same way as nuns. The only nuns that I remember is Sister Caroline and Sister Tess. And those were kind of like my ministry leaders. Yeah. And they were the ones that kind of helped shape your faith. Yes. And help you grow in the faith. Yes. So it's really interesting what you say about the priesthood. Uh, we know that in Vatican II, we learn that there is a difference between the common priesthood versus the ordained priesthood, where we have priests who are there to celebrate the Mass for us, mm-hmm. who are there to consecrate um, the body and blood of Christ for us. And we to our virtue of our baptism. We are king, prophets, and priests, but that common priesthood, we're there to serve God and and bear witness to him. So it sounds like that was something that was really focused on, encouraging you to bear witness and and be present to the community, to your family, to your parish. Correct. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. You, um, You mentioned that you have Father Bill Leonard, who was someone who really saw the leadership capacity. He didn't just see the spoiled kid. He saw someone who had a lot of potential. Yes. Yes. Um, And how did he, how did he and others encourage you? Well, being a black Catholic is, is very interesting. Yes. So when my family used to go to different parishes, like we went to the, I think it's called the Emmanuel Conception in the south end of Boston. Immaculate Conception, yes. Right? Yeah. And we used to go downstairs. And I remember in my memory bank, sitting in the back of the church Mm -hmm. and the priest back to me and he's speaking in Latin. Uh You remember the mass in Latin? Yes. Mm -hmm. And remember I was at Warwick House. That's what we called it. Warwick House. And our mass was in English. So it was like a shocking situation when, you know, we used to go over there for family masses, memorial masses. And I just remember how people used to treat us. Like, what are you doing here? Even when going over to the cathedral as well, because I'm talking about two parishes that's like in the walking distance. Yeah, they were right right down the street from each other. Yeah, and also down the street, for, basically, for me. It's like a 10-minute walk. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting on how, like, here I come from Father Bill teaching me unity. Everybody should be treated equally. And then going to another parish, a big parish, and mm-hmm. seeing this different behavior, it, like, blew my mind all the time. Sure. It, it felt, I'm sure it was discombobulating because it was like, wait a second, we're all one family. Right. And there's nothing you could say about it. Mm-hmm. Nothing you could say or do. So I never really spoke up about it to my family. I think I asked my mom one time and she just said, that's all, that's just how it is. But as I grew and learned more about the history in our church on how we as Black Catholics would treat it, like we were racism within it. it. It was very interesting for me. Yeah. And um, I just, I struggled a long time 
and as I had gotten older, when they had started merging parishes, um, we went from St. Francis, then we went to St. Philip Parish, Warwick House. Then we merged with St. Francis de Sales, St. Philip Parish, Warwick House. Then now we're into St. Catherine Drexel. It's still weird. It's, it's, it's weird on how when we moved from Warwick House and into someone else's parish and being treated a certain way. And we always collaborated together for the summer programs with the kids with Warwick House had a summer camp that I helped run in St. Francis had um, their summer camp with um, Sister Mary Hot. And we always collaborated together. And then, but when we had to live together, it was a different story. It was weird. It sounds like it was some growing pains as the parishes merged and became one. You had to learn how to live as a new parish together. Yes. And, um, you know, people struggle with that. Mm -hmm. I was part of interviewing as a youth leader, interviewing um, priests to come in to minister to us. Was this at St. Francis or was this at St. Philip? It was St. Philip's Mm -hmm. that moved into St. Francis in you know, the person that we had chose didn't get picked. Mm -hmm. Now, thinking about those two parishes, those were parishes that were staffed by the Jesuits. They weren't archdiocesan priests. Am am I remembering that correctly? You know what? I never knew the difference until as an adult. Mm -hmm. I never knew the difference. I, I always thought everybody was all one. It was all, all the same. Yeah, the Jesuits, I think, mm-hmm. if I remember the story correctly, um, St. Francis, because when I was introduced to St. Francis, St. Philip, it was Father Clark, who was a Jesuit. Um, yes. And what he shared with me was that when, you know, St. Philip and St. Francis were both staffed by Jesuits. And so at that point, he was the one taking care of that new community. Yeah, he was one of the people that we had interviewed. Mm-hmm. But he came in and um, he served the community for quite a few years. But, you know, I'm going to come back to something you said, which I, I really want to unpack a little bit is, you know, being Catholic is weird. And when I hear being Black Catholic is weird, I don't hear that from Black Catholics. I sometimes hear that from folks who are not Catholic, but are Black. And you show up in a space and they go, you, you're a Black Catholic? What happened? You know, who dropped you on your head? Right. (laughs) That happened to me. (laughs) That That happened to me, too. (laughs) So when you say Black Catholic is weird. um... When I went to um, the Pieta retreat, it's an honor. It's it's weird, but we worship different. Mm -hmm. From Warwick House, from my very first days, it was always music. Mm-hmm. always um, drumming. And when I say drumming, I'm saying the African drums. We always had spiritual music. And when I tell them that I'm Catholic, they look at me like, you're Catholic? I thought you was Baptist or Pentecostal. I was so like, what? I don't understand. Yeah, And I don't understand that whole, how certain people act because being taught that we are all Christians right. and Christianity is what we're supposed to be focused on. Mm-hmm. So 
that's why I say it's weird, you know, like I don't understand what way are we supposed to be behave as Christians. I think there's a beauty in being black and Catholic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Sister Thea Bowman says it best, you know, that we bring the gifts that we are given to the church mm-hmm. and we offer it up to the church. I'm not saying what she said in the way she said it, but I mean, that's always been the way I interpreted her message. Yes. And that's the same way I interpreted it as well. I was always taught, no, you don't have to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Speak up because I've always been a boisterous person. And they said, Sister Tess and Sister Caroline would say, what was you saying over there? And I would repeat myself. And they said, that makes sense. You need to speak up about that. Keep on speaking up about it. Don't stop. Don't let nobody shut your mouth because you're young. They affirmed you and they affirmed you in how you were speaking. They affirmed you in being outspoken and not just keeping everything in right because we would find out about different parishes throughout massachusetts Mm -hmm. on the different things that they were doing and we would say well why can't we do that Mm -hmm. why are we being deprived of going to this and going to that and we want to participate too and and those are the type of things that was always me pressuring and we don't do it like that you know me being able to say no that's that's not that's not healthy for me. That's not working for me, how you're doing that. That's not working. You're encouraged to be outspoken and expressing yourself and sharing your thoughts. Yes. Yeah, and you had very strong women models in doing that. I'm just thinking of Sister Caroline and Sister Tess. Yes. You know, they're quiet, but they're not going to, you know, suffer you and not tell you what they're thinking at that moment. No. And then thinking about your journey of faith and, you know, having influenced by very strong women, um, women religious and um, priests as well, as well as people in your family, how did that help shape your faith? Well, even when I was talking about this with my Aunt Helen um, yesterday, Mm -hmm. I just said out loud, I was talking to myself inside but she just happened to be near me when I said it out loud. I said, you know, people never lose their faith. They always lose the church. Mm. Tell me more about that. I'm going to use me as an example. My son was hyperactive. And because he couldn't sit still and be like everybody else, sometimes the church pushed him away. And he always had questions. and. So it kind of like pushed me away when I stood up and said, when Sister Mary Hart said to me, Lorna, you know, your son, he doesn't fit here. If he doesn't fit here, where does he fit? That was my immediate response to her. Oh, if he doesn't fit here in this camp where I pay money, where does he fit? And no one ever gave me any guidance. Yeah. So it was like, I'm done. And Father Tom Clark had supported it and without giving any guidance. So where do you go? Right. And my kids loved going to church. Mm -hmm. You know, they loved going to the youth group. They loved being part of it. They loved going to Kajinga and they loved 
everything that I experienced, they experienced too. Mm -hmm. So I didn't remove them. I removed myself. And I was all like, I'm not going to deprive them. I'm always going to have my faith. And because I was always taught that your relationship with God is in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit. So that was an excuse for me to come. Um, I mean, not to go, but to still keep my faith alive. Mm-hmm. So you kind of hung on to your faith, but you kind of reviewed yourself from the faith community and receiving the sacraments and being part of communion in a way. That must have been so painful, though, Lorna. I mean, in every every way imaginable. It was. It was. And I was going through some stuff in my life at that time. And the blessing is because my faith was so strong. I didn't turn to drugs. I didn't turn to alcohol. Mm-hmm. I just blocked out going to church. However, I did come back. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me, okay, it's time for you to go back and you need to go go back and you need to make your confirmation. Because I was a teen mother, I wasn't allowed to make um, my confirmation and all that other stuff. Because? Because that was supposed to have been the rules in the Catholic Church. You had to be pure in order to make your confirmation. Um. <laughs> I, I, that was like what? <laughs> I'm I I I have so many questions and I don't know where to proceed from this, um, <laughs> except to say that we need all the sacraments to help us on our journey of faith, yes. and 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 so that you know that's what leads us to be in closer communion with God. But the problem is, is that I'm quite sure that there have been. Many of black women or mm-hmm. black men that have been treated that same way as well. Mm. I only know about Father Best because my that's the only black priest that I knew at that time. Yeah, at that time, because my mom and her siblings they all grew up with them with the best families. Yeah, so, that's yes. Mm-hmm. So that was like, we thought we were hot stuff. So, but I did come back. I followed the Holy Spirit's whispers in my ear and I came back myself, my sister that's above me and my God sister, we all had um, made our confirmations together. And you were able to come home. Yes, we was able to come home. And that is when... Let me show you how far back it was, but yet so near when Father Pratt came. So that would have been. um, That was his first confirmation class, yes. 15 years ago? Almost 20 years ago? Yeah. Wow. So your journey included Father Best? No, Father Pratt. Father Pratt. Yeah, he was my um, confirm. He's the priest that I made my confirmation under. And you were his first class? Yes. Wow. Come Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so you came home back into the church. 
you were confirmed and your family came back with you, some of them. What was your feeling then, now that you were home? I felt like it was a home again. Mm -hmm. Now, your son at that time, was he able to attend particular programs? Did you find a place for him to go to camp? What was his and your daughter? What was their experience of church? Well, my daughter was one of, um, I think she was one of the youth leaders. Mm -hmm. I think they both made their confirmation. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I never denied them their spiritual journey. I just pushed myself aside. And when they asked me, why aren't you going to church? And I just gave them, oh, I'm so tired. I worked hard. Because mm -hmm. that's when I was doing gang outreach. So they understood the hard work I was doing. Yeah. And some of that gang outreach included going out at night. Yes. For you, talking and, and building relationship with some of the kids out in the street. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. Right when I started making my confirmation, going through the course, I had started reorganizing my life. I wanted a change in my work life because I was I was seeing what is going on right now in this generation. I was seeing it before it started. And I was all like, I can't do youth anymore. And it was hurting me. It was affecting my home. I had to make a change. But the Holy Spirit is so awesome and it, it, if you're paying attention you'll learn something I go through this little theory of if you open one eye you see something if you open both eyes you'll see everything so during the first year of my confirmation journey it was I would have one eye open and then on August 2nd totally changed because I had drove by I was going on a work trip, 4.30, I think it was in the morning. I drove by William Street, saw a bunch of ambulances. I could see someone on the ground. I could see that, you know, the, the, the police scrambling around. And I just asked God to please forgive all those that's involved in whatever's going on. And was going to you know, Divine Street Community Center to go on a fishing trip with a group of elders. And when we got right on to the Cape to step on the boat, I got the phone call of my son's death. When I got the call, I demanded the officer to tell me right then and there. Mm -hmm. And so... He told me, I, I already was on my knees and I just asked God to give me the strength to, to fulfill this journey. And as I got, when I got into Boston, I went to, um, to identify him. And the officer that was with me, Officer Brown, he is a Native American. And he told me he could see my ancestors with me, holding me up. And he said, just keep keep them with you, Lorna. And so I said, after I identified him, 
I uh, I just started saying the rosary. Mm -hmm. I started saying Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Mm -hmm. And so as I said that, he was saying it with me. And I was so like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, no, you, you're Catholic too. <laughs> but it was like everything was a spiritual journey for me. Mm -hmm. Starting my confirmation was a spiritual journey. And I know that God was preparing me for my son's death. He was giving you what you needed for the journey. Yes, he did. So my Aunt Barbara told me about the um, a Pieta ministry at St. Anthony's Shrine, downtown Boston. Yeah. And, um, my Aunt Ruth paid for me. She said, you're going to go. So, <laughs> you can't say no. <laughs> right. I mean, like, oh, okay. Okay, I mean, auntie, yes. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I went, and it was very, very eerie. I know that I was there for a purpose, mm -hmm. and that was for me to to heal. But once again, being the only Black woman in the room, mm -hmm. and when I said what happened to my son, here I am in a, a room full of women that is well-to-do, mm -hmm. right? Live in the suburbs and, you know, have this standard, watching my every move to see where I'm going to do, clinching purchases, Ooh. doing little stuff. And I'm all like, why are we? So I said, to the father, I said, Father, listen, I, I can't. We were supposed to be meditating, and both him and I, I cannot meditate for 15 minutes. I did 15 minutes, and that was it. And so, both me and the, um, he was a brother, not a, a father. Okay. So, he says, let's go on. So, we're both going, let's go out the room. We went out the room because mm -hmm. we didn't want to disturb everybody else. Right. He said, what's wrong? I said, First of all, I can't sit still that long, okay? To me either, so you're not doing nothing wrong. Um, I said, second, what's really on my heart and my mind is how I'm being treated. So what people don't realize is Black folks is very observant of their surroundings. We will examine the whole entire room, paying attention to everyone. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I'm reading the room just like they're trying to read me. And I'm like being myself because I grew up in the South End of Boston, which I never was exposed to racism until I was a victim of busing. So I don't know what it is like to deal with blatant racism until I was in the first grade. But that's another story, another chapter. Mm -hmm. It was so boldly being done. And I was even asked, why are you here if your son was murdered? I was all like, who are you to ask me that question? But I'm assuming, let me bring this back a little bit, that this is a Pieta retreat. And mm -hmm. Pieta meaning the painting where the Blessed Mother is holding Jesus. That this is a retreat for all mothers and fathers who have lost a child. Yeah. And I'm going to emphasize all. And yet you were being questioned as to why you were there because your child was murdered. Mm -hmm. 
so the brother told me, he says, this is how I would suggest that you handle it. Mm -hmm. Because you're here for a purpose and you're fulfilling your obligation to yourself. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want you to say it in a form of a prayer. So we did all during mass or whatever. And so I said a prayer. And the prayer was for me to, um, I can't remember word for word, but it basically was saying for all those that were present to stay focused on healing and not judging. Make yourself feel comfortable because, you know, when you're in, in, in a crisis mode, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because grief is crisis. It could be easy grief, nasty grief, mm-hmm. extremist grief. All forms of grief. Right. And when you're in that state of mind, you don't know what comes out of your head. But you got to be careful on what you're saying just because you think that it's okay, especially with your ignorance, with the ignorance out of you of racism, bigotry and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to be focusing on that. You're supposed to be focusing on healing your heart. You're now starting a ministry for grieving parents, Lorna, and it sounds like it's been a road towards this ministry. Tell tell us a little bit about this and how this has come to be that you're working towards starting this ministry. Well, what I've done is instead of just having, you know, the Memorial Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about the Memorial Mass. I, 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 I think folks should know about this Mass. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we have a full mass and it's actually a reflection. I love Mary Mm -hmm. Um, and her for a grieving mother, the Holy spirit showed me Mary, how to deal with my, my grief. And he showed me mother Mary. And so I took her story and I walked through it and just like, how most people walk through the stations of the cross, but in between the stations, you know, learning all these different little things, I um, understood with how Mary felt. Now I always figure like this, if Mary can do it, watch from the conception and to death of her son. Why can't I? Why can't I, I I live as her? And I would encourage people to read her story. Read her story um, so that you'll understand how how is it that she survived through her grief. Because remember, she watched her son. She watched her son. And I know that there are many of us out here that have watched their sons or daughters' life go, you know, and, and it's the same, but different. Bringing that into a whole is, is, um, is deep. That's where the pieta lies. 
mm-hmm. you understand it more you 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 learn so much more from it when you l- read her story of how mary mary's life so that build with doing that that allowed me to think of my mission and my purpose is to confront all the processes of pain that one feels on a daily basis while experiencing the stages of grieving mm-hmm. and healing. Yes. Because while you're grieving, you got to learn, okay, I'm he- okay that I healed on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and by walking through those series of thought provoking activities that provide provocative activities and those that will participate will gain insights regarding daily struggles throughout their healing journey. They'll get a little couple of techniques and, you know, and the hidden gems are, are being told within the, the mass. Mm-hmm. Um, hidden gems are always, of course, Father Pratt throughout his homily. And then um, they get exposed to someone else that is grieving. Mm-hmm. And um, they tell their story on how they're walking through their path. Mm-hmm. And um, then we eat. Food for the spirit and then food for the body. Yes. There's a difference in, in real soul food. Mm, no, well, soul food. Oh, it's always, good. always good. Oh. You know those comfort foods? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we, we we do comfort food. Comfort food, comfort for the soul, comfort for the body, sure. Soul food. Yes. Yeah, that I think that's something that a lot of people are yearning for and are seeking. Mm-hmm. And I think when we want to consider families who have lost a child due to homicide, I think that finding a space where they can pray together, learn some healthy ways to handle what they are going through and to hold it with someone and share it with someone. Um, I think that's an important part of helping one another. Yes. So this year, will there be another mass? Of course. August 22nd. August 22nd. And where will that mass be? 517 Blue Hill Avenue. So St. Catherine Drexel, 517 Blue Hill Avenue, Boston. Yes. And if folks want to contact you, Lorna, about yes. the mass, about this ministry, if they'd like to work with you, if they'd like to be a part of this mass or this ministry in some shape or form, how can they reach you? They can reach me at heronstravel at gmail.com. And that's H is in Harry, E is in Edward, R is in Robert, O is in Orange, N is in Nancy, S is in Sam, T is in Tom, R is in Robert, a is in Apple, V is in Victor, E is in Edward, L is in love at gmail.com. All right, wonderful. Lorna, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us and just giving us some of these very important points during our conversation today. And I hope it's been a blessing 
to each and every one of us. Thank you. Yes, it will be. Lorna, can I also tell you, yes. we have a new name. Tell me, my friend, what is the new name? My new name is Heron's Healing. Heron's Healing. Okay, yeah. that is the name of the ministry. Yes. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Lorna Heron. In the image of the Pieta, Mary, mother of Jesus, is grieving and contemplating while sitting with Jesus' body on her lap after his crucifixion. This poignant representation of grief and sorrow reminds us that the Blessed Mother deeply understands the experience of parents who have lost a child. Dear Mary, Mother of our Lord Jesus, Mother of the Church, and our Mother, we ask for your intercession and prayers for those who have experienced the loss of a child. May they feel God's love, peace, and consolation surrounding them now and always. Please remember to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Voices from the Pews. A very special thanks to Lorna Heron for joining us today. Please join us for the next episode with Ashley Pish, who shares about her incredible journey of faith and the unique ministry of Creatio. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Pews. Produced by Lorna DeRose. Audio editing and post-production by Bryn Lee. Music composed and performed by André Lui. Social media presence boosted by Jacqueline Prunache. May God bless and keep you until next time.